Welcome to San Francisco City Insider. I'm Dominic Fracasa, a City Hall reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on the show, we have Marissa Rodriguez, director of the city's Office of Cannabis. It's her job to oversee the legal marijuana business in San Francisco from seed to store. One of her top priorities, making sure that the victims of the nation's decades-long war on drugs get the first chance at operating pot shops and other marijuana businesses in the city. We'll talk about that and more after this. Marissa Rodriguez, director of San Francisco's Office of Cannabis. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Um, I wanted to get started by uh, talking about your background a little bit. Um, prior to be appo- uh, prior to your being appointed as director of the Office of Cannabis, you were an assistant district attorney, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Um, can you just walk us through a little bit about your work as a prosecutor and how you sort of parlayed that into the job you have now? What's what's the overlap, if any? Sure. Um, so, as you mentioned, I'm a former prosecutor. I was a prosecutor for almost ten years with the city and county of San Francisco. Um, interestingly, kind of took that sort of career path, thinking that that was going to be my long-term career path. Started as a trial lawyer with the office. Um, At that time, it was uh, under Kamala Harris. Then um, shortly thereafter, George Gascon became the the DA, elected DA. And I started to become interested in policy for the office. And interestingly, um, got the opportunity to roll out an initiative called the Neighborhood Court Initiative um, that DA Gascon wanted, where he wanted DAs to be out in the community more mm. um, and to be and to learn about what was actually driving crime. And so I started to get um, acquainted with community the communities at large. In addition to uh, working closely with the police department, our constituents, stakeholders, got really interested in sort of the policy side of the work. Eventually, I would go on to join the policy team for the DA and um, become the director of the um, director of community relations, so to speak. Mm. And we are a small team where we we touch on legislative issues. We touch on community related issues, uh, communication, data, you name it, where we're sort of doing it. And this is really where I started to get excited about criminal justice reform it was in that space where I started to work on uh, prison reform matters and got really interested in that sort of work. It actually wasn't until um, the lead up to Prop 64 that cannabis even was on my radar. Mm. It wasn't something that I was particularly, you know, interested in um, pursuing, but it was a conversation that we started having as an office. Because I was outward facing, I had to be that sort of face and point person for a lot of the questions surrounding what that meant, what that looked like, what that would look like in practice. Uh, the DA's office, San Francisco District Attorney's office um, under George Gascon is the first in the nation to retroactively expunge criminal records for individuals who had cannabis um, contacts. And, and you had a, a fairly significant role in that process, in that in the rollout of that decision or the rollout of that expunging, the, the action itself, maybe. Um, I would say that decision was the DA's decision. Yeah. Um, it was a policy team project, but we all sort of played different uh, roles in it, but it was it was the DA, it was led by the DA. It was his initiative. It was um, essentially just being on the right side of history. Made us all really excited about what that could mean. Um, it was a partnership with Code for America and our office. I believe uh, to date, over nine thousand uh, cases have been 
um, touched yeah. in this way retroactively, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah. So really the work is, is the credit is to the DA on this issue. Um, my role on the policy team, like anyone else's, was to kind of just further that in the way that I could. You moved to the uh, Office of Cannabis in April, if I'm not mistaken, if I have that right? Yeah, that's right. What? April 1st. April Fool's Day. There you go. Not bad. <laughs> not bad. And I think we talked maybe that day or, or a day after. And I, I think you were still looking for a desk at that point. That's but, right. <laughs> you know, you, you did say, uh, if I remember correctly, correctly, uh, you had said that the equity side of cannabis business permitting, if you will, was going to be a, a real uh, a point of emphasis, a focus for you for you in your office. So perhaps just very quickly, if you could provide a synopsis of how San Francisco wants to treat uh, uh, people who want to get into the cannabis business and who have been impacted by the war on drugs. That, that's kind of what, what we're talking about when we talk about equity in, in cannabis, correct? Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I believe when we first met, um, you'd asked sort of what my priorities are, so to speak, with respect to the office. And at that time, it was very clear, and it still is, that the um, equity program that we are running through the Office of Cannabis is that important, that most important um, program. Um, San Francisco's cannabis equity program is designed to lower barriers to cannabis licensing for those hardest hit by the war on drugs. Um, and we do this by enabling verified equi equity applicants to apply for a permit. And what does it mean to be equity, right? Um, essentially, there are a set of criteria that a person must meet three of. And, um, and if they do meet those criteria, they become verified equity applicants and then have standing to apply for a permit. It puts you in the front of the line. Essentially, essentially yeah. yes. Okay. So they they do in, equity applicants have not only standing but priority uh, with respect to obtaining a license for a cannabis business. And again, the philosophy there is if a person has been negatively impacted by the war on drugs, negatively impacted perhaps by drug policies that have through Prop 64 or, or something else been overturned or reversed or changed, that those that those people deserve an opportunity to get into the legal business of cannabis retail or, or other parts of the cannabis sort of uh, um, food chain, if you will, the the supply chain. And, and they, the city should be looking at them first because they've been, you know, in jail, negatively impacted in some ways. And so we want to give them uh, uh, the first sort of bite at the apple. Yeah, um, I think that's the right way to look at it. Um, ultimately. You know, right now, so post uh, pre Prop 64, we had what was known as sort of um, the Compassionate Care Act. Right. And there was a time period uh, starting around 1996 when we as a city allowed individuals to have access to cannabis who were terminally ill, right, or had other um, qualifying medical conditions, right? Today, uh, since then, we have 34 medical cannabis businesses that are currently operating in San Francisco. In fact, if you walked around town and you saw a dispensary today, it is a, a medical dispensary, a former medical dispensary that just now under the Office of Cannabis can sell adult use product. Mm. What does that mean with respect to your question? Well, ultimately, you have 34 operating businesses that are not equity businesses. Um, and the city would like to see sort of parity. They'd like to see 34 retail establishments with equity um, applicants, right? Mm -hmm. So individuals who are the most impacted should have an opportunity to thrive in, in the regulated market. How close are we to realizing that parity? Your office hasn't sure. been around that long. You haven't been director that long. I'm, I'm certainly aware of that timeline. 
Uh, I mean, heck, Prop 64 was not that long. It wasn't that long ago that the state passed that law. So I'm sensitive to that. But how, how is the equity program going exactly? The sort of narrative that's out there is that it's 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 slow going. Right. That for equity applicants in particular, perhaps it's been uh, it takes a long time to get those permits and to open up a shop and to take advantage of, of this kind of equity philosophy and lens that the city wants to put on this. Right. No, thank you for for bringing that up. Well, first, I, I like to um, certainly look at this from the most positive perspective. Post Prop 64, jurisdictions have the opportunity to decide whether or not they want to move forward on having any kind of cannabis program whatsoever in their in their jurisdictions. It's exciting because San Francisco has decided that not only are we going to roll this out in San Francisco and give folks access, but we're going to do it in a way that takes this sort of equity conversation into account, but also we're going to allow opportunities throughout the um Throughout the process, we're not just talking retail. We're talking about this full supply chain, mm, right? Okay. And so thinking about cultivation, manufacturing, distribution, delivery, retail, testing, we're, we're saying we're doing it. And so that's exciting mm-hmm. when you think about that. Being, to your point, a new program and a new office that's only been out running now for about a year and a half, just a little over a year and a half. Right. Um, we, I would argue, are moving forward and at, and at a pace, you know, and I think a very decent, robust pace. Uh, there are two components to getting through this process. The first one is verifying equity. Mm-hmm. To date, we have a little over 400 individuals who have applied to be verified as equity applicants. Okay. That process alone takes some time to get folks verified. Um, to date, we have almost 300 individuals verified as equity applicants. This means twofold. It means that they now have access to the workforce and could go out and maybe explore areas that they might think are interesting to them in the cannabis space, um, gain knowledge, gain expertise. But it also gives them standing to apply for a business permit. In San Francisco, many folks know who have tried to you know, start businesses here. It is a bit of a lengthy process. It's no different for any small business as it would be, say, for cannabis. Mm. Um, right now, we have a process that has a lot of moving parts. You know, many would appreciate the fact that you can't open a cannabis business with just the press of the easy button, right? right. It's it's a number of of uh, steps, and um, you know, there's a there's a planning process, there's background checks, criminal history review. There's um, going through, you know, the DBI process, the Department of Public Health process, the fire process, sure. and on and on. So it, it it takes some time. But to date, we have about 173 um, applications in our in our equity, our first run, our, our priority processing pot. Mm-hmm. Of those, um, 40, 41, in fact, have already been sent to planning. About seven have gone through the planning process. So... Those individuals have been now opened up to the other city departments for getting their, you know, their plans ready, their architecture plans ready, DBI, fire, you name it. A lot of it's going to depend on resources and their availability to build out these businesses. We're, mm-hmm. we're talking about actually building out real businesses open to the public. So there are a lot of moving parts, but it's happening. And um, although it's not a super swift process. We've uh, worked really hard, and especially in this last few months, to get as many folks over that hump um, as possible. And in fact, when we when we first talked, we had about 20, I believe 24 people had been referred to planning. And since that three month time, we've doubled that. So it's been exciting. OK, yeah. that is that is. So so let's just say I'm, a, I'm some I'm someone who 
who has a uh, um, a verifiable. Um, let's say I'm I'm an equity applicant and I have a good shot of becoming an equity applicant. I believe I am, and I need to apply to be one. Two questions: about how long does it take to get verified, and then about how long does it take after I'm a verified equity applicant to get through the process? So verification. That's a, good, that's a great point. Verification. Um, yeah, first. that's a good question. So uh, the the verifying the the process to get verified is a very organic one. So it's really going to depend a lot on how eager you are, mm-hmm. right? So are you able to come prepared with the documents that we need to verify you as an applicant, right? Do you have the necessary school documents or your criminal background history to prove, you know, that you were impacted by the war on drugs, essentially, um, that maybe you, you know, you qualify under the housing insecurity. There's six criteria, right? And which ones, which of the three are you um, qualified under? And are you able to show that? And sometimes we have to go back and forth and back and forth. And it takes, it can take some time on average, about three to four months. Okay. For verification. So I apologize. Three to four weeks. Three to four weeks. Okay. Okay. Great. Great. Um, Now to your other point, as far as getting through this um, more lengthy time to actually obtain a business permit. The first, because we're brand new and we're kind of seeing this as we go, um, the first applicants to apply last year are probably going to be ready for or finishing their build out maybe end of this year, early next, which would mean they would have probably been in the system about about two years. Okay. Start to finish. Okay. Start to finish. Okay. If I'm an equity applicant, though, let's say I've been in jail before and I'm not or I I am housing insecure or I meet some of these criteria that are meant to put me in the front of the line as an equity applicant. I I, that would seem to me I I don't have two years to like sit on a lease. Do you know what do you know what I mean? Like, how how do you grapple with that? Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely fair. I mean, you know, it's 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 codified that we would have a pot of money or some assistance to provide to equity applicants, which I wish I could say we we could disperse. Unfortunately, because this is still a schedule one drug, um, we are unable to meet that requirement. So we're in a situation where individuals have to find resources and a way to get through this process. A lot of people are really interested and excited in the cannabis space. So finding investors has not been a challenge. Sure. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's real. Some people, you know, don't want to take on additional you know, investments or whatever it is, or maybe somebody's not interested in supporting an equity applicant. In that case, that person is sitting on rents and that's, that's tough. And so what we're trying to do is figure out a way to make this process much swifter. We've, um, we're working now with the city to figure out, are there other means or uh, resources that we can provide to get us through this process in a swifter way uh, to date Unfortunately, we haven't been able to get there, but we are hopeful that we will in the long run. Well, I think it's worth pausing for a second. And, you know, you don't really get to set the policies per se, right? That's like right. You, you just get to execute what is essentially foisted on on your office. Are there too many hoops to jump through? I mean, I understand there's always going to be complications <clears throat> because it's still a federal federal uh, a schedule right. one drug. Like the, the federal hoops are always going to be there and the, those kind of complexities and the sort of friction that's caused between the differences between federal and state law. Again, I'm sympathetic to that. Right. But has the city put too many hoops up for its own 
retailers or its own people who want to get into the cannabis space in San Francisco? I mean, would you like to see fewer of them? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a tough question. I think um, I think it's important that there be certain checks and balances so that the community can feel like we are doing our due diligence with respect to this process. Right. Um, can't sort of move away from that. And I, I don't think I'd want to. Um, I think it's important that we see we created this pathway right as a city when we said, hey, we want folks to come out of the unregulated market where it's unsafe, where all of these things are challenged and dangerous and come into a regulated space where we can control this. Right. And so it is important that we be mindful of that. And so, for example, to your question about people sitting on rents, we've now said, look, you you just have to show us a letter, for example, of intent that a landlord is willing to rent to you in this space and we can move you along so that you don't take on the onus of rent, you know, but not all landlords are going to, you know, be that accommodating. You have a right? cannabis client, have a cannabis uh, tenant, if you will, business tenant. One, yeah. they may not want to have a business client or a tenant. And two, they may want you to pay rent. Right. right? right. This is a this is a hot market in San Francisco. Maybe they don't want to wait on that. But, yeah. to, you know, but the other argument is cannabis is hot, too. And right. maybe they do. Yeah. Right. And so we want to look at alternative ways that we can be supportive. But one of the things that I think we really need to look at, and that's why um, I've instituted a new equity navigation working group that brings all city partners who touch cannabis applications to the table to talk about ways we can make this swifter. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's something since April, since oh, you yeah. came on board. Yeah. And yeah. To speed it up in essence. Yeah. Right? To, to not only speed it up, to see, we shouldn't be in silos kind sure. of working on these things. I think that's what has been sort of some of the challenge with um, just getting any business through our, our bureaucratic process. Right. Um, but it's important to the point again, that if we you know, about hoops and, and, mm -hmm. and all this, if, if we're going to create a pathway for individuals, especially individuals who don't have resources to your point or have been marginalized, right, that we not further victimize, right, that we figure out a way to make this um, in as swift and easy a process as possible, but while being mindful that we need to do our due diligence as a city to make sure that these businesses are operating properly, that people have the right, you know, whatever it is that they need to get to do to do this safely. Sure. Right. I also wanted to take a second to talk about kind of another, uh, I guess, pipeline for cannabis businesses, and that's the incubator program. At a high level, could you just sort of help people understand exactly what that is? I guess as I understand it, and, and if this is sort of reductive, then just let me know. But the idea is that if you are a non-equity applicant, if you're a white dude like me who has not been to jail for drugs, Got knock it. wood, knock wood. <laughs> If I were to partner up in some way or to find a, an appropriate way to confer benefits on an equity applicant, someone who has been impacted by the war on drugs, then I essentially get, if an equity applicant gets to the front of the line, I get behind the equity applicant. There are still some benefits that uh, the city wants to confer upon my business model because I'm bringing equity applicants in into the into the party, so to speak. I, I feel like yeah. I'm being inarticulate. So no, help no, me no, at no, a high level, not, walk that, me you through have that. It, you kind of have it right. So you know, it is a, a little bit complicated in that um, we give what is called sort of the equity operator, just pure kind of equity um, priority in processing. That's the individual that isn't being incubated to your point, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, that's an individual who's sort of doing it on their own. But what does it mean to actually do it on your own? In some cases, it means seeking investment and some business partners, right? That's someone who's willing to take this risk with you and say, hey, 
let's let's start a business together. I'm putting in this, you're putting in that. We're going to get to the finish line, right? right. That is sort of your traditional um, equity operator, e- equity application. And that's what we are giving priority to today. The second um, priority category is, to your point, the incubator category. That is when uh, Dom decides, hey, I want my own business. Um, and in order to do that, I am willing to incubate an equity applicant in his business or her business, right? So you're willing to give either rent-free space or technical assistance for a period of time to get that person up and running, right? Or maybe offer their products on my shelves, perhaps? Is that that part of it? Yeah, I mean, it it can be, but um, primarily you're really trying to support this equity applicant to essentially get their business going, almost as if you were partnering, Mm -hmm. but you're not. Mm -hmm. You're two separate businesses. And in exchange, you're going to be able to operate your business without necessarily partnering with an equity applicant. Okay. We're not looking at your application until we're done with those who are sort of on their own, getting it done on their own. Sure. If that makes sense. Yeah. W- what is the city's philosophy behind that exactly? Why why encourage that or why make that a special category? I think understanding to your point earlier that there are challenges with respect to getting resources to these equity applicants. Yeah. We can't as a city, to your point again, around, you know, this is still a schedule one drug Mm -hmm. um, and we have to be mindful about how we dispense money with respect to um, assisting the business and and ultimately the sale of of cannabis. Right. So we have to be thoughtful in that. We understand uh, city's concerns around that. We appreciate the support they've given us thus far. Um, And I think we're going to get there eventually. Um, It's going to take a little time, but. As as the entire country is moving in this direction, I think folks are going to start to feel a little bit uh, more comfortable with really being supportive in the way that we kind of talked about earlier in this podcast. Yeah, yeah. So, what's the status of the equity program now, to to call it that, or of 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 incubator? Uh, excuse me, of the incubator program specifically. Mm-hmm. What? How many people have applied through that? Is yeah. that spinning already? Is that up and going? Well, it, it people have applied. Yeah, we have a, I believe it's about 17 um, incubator applications okay. that are sort of pending. Okay. Um, and once we get we get through our our host of equity applications, we will get to theirs. Okay. How do you, how do you prevent people from gaming the system in that sense? Is it just about the thoroughness of the review? I mean, how, how like what's stopping question. what's stopping me from being someone who like wants to get wants the benefits that the city's willing to give for partnering with an equity applicant, but isn't really, it's just sort of like saying, hey, this is my buddy. He's an equity applicant and he's going to sell things in my store and he's going to have some rent-free space. But in reality, I'm calling all the shots and calling all of the investors and doing all of the things to get the business uh, uh, you know, uh, off the ground. Do okay. you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, how do, how I do. do you, how and, do you and police you know what? that? Yeah. How do you police that? I think, I think that's uh, a really important question. I mean, We've talked, especially in the beginning, about how, you know, questions around resources, as far as the office is concerned, we have over seven core functions we're doing. One of them is permitting, you know, if you think about all the different things, rulemaking, regulations, community engagement, enforcement, um, soon to be this oversight committee, kind of this overlay on us and needing to support that. We are an office of five currently. Um, One of my biggest priorities was keeping our office and keeping our staff through this budget price. Uh, this most recent budget cycle. You have five people? We have five people. Okay. Is yeah. that including yourself? That's including myself. Okay. All yeah. right. Just to be clear. Very <laughs> Just good. Just to be clear. Um, this, this, these timelines now are starting to make a little bit more, more sense. sense. And in okay. fact, given that, given that strain and given how threadbare we are, I feel like we are we are doing it. Like yeah. we really, we have an incredible office, an incredible team. Um, my predecessor, Nicole Elliott, before mm-hmm. going off to um, 
the state really put together an exceptional team. And I have to give her a lot of credit for that in an office, um, you know, building this from nothing. And here we are, you know, and I think that there's much to be um, congratulated there. That said, we, you know, we are limited in resources. I think we should be an office of 10 personally um, with the with the functions that we're required to do. Um, but we were getting through and we were able to keep our, our staff. That wasn't an easy fight, but we made, we did it with the support of the city administrator and the mayor's office. We um, were able to keep our office intact and to add someone to support the um, oversight committee. And that will happen in October. Right. So um, there's a lot there to, to your point about how much we can uh, really enforce sort of the predatory market or individuals who are really out for their own gain. Mm -hmm. I think time is going to tell on those people. Right. Um, ultimately, we have a system in place today where you can't sell a cannabis business for 10 years. This is the law today that could change. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the point and the intent of that was to allow equity and opportunity to really dig deep roots and create sort of these legacy businesses and be able to reverse the impacts ultimately of the war on drugs, right? Here you are, you are now able to thrive in a regulated market. You'll have this business opportunity or an opportunity to work in the business and move up in a business, right? Sure. Through the workforce program. And here, let's, let's not just do this as a kind of a quick and dirty, right? Let's do this because we want to open a meaningful, thriving business, mm -hmm. right? That we can call legacy. Um, there are there are parts of the process in place in our office where we do our best to um, review operating agreements, get a sense of partnerships, and um, really try to support our equity applicants to the best of our ability. It is not, um, you know, we're not lawyers or counsel for, some of us are lawyers, but we're sure. not lawyers or counsel for our equity applicants, but right. we really want to do what we can to ensure that their um, their documents are set up in a way that are are supportive of them in the long run. That takes time, yeah. right? And that's yeah. also part of this process. You know, you have an informal planning check. You have to be able to provide us with the documents that we can then vet thoroughly. There's a back and forth because to your point, we do see some of that gaming yeah. and we want to ensure that that's not what's going to happen. Look, we're not going to be there in the end of this and there's going to be a lot of things. It's like any business, right? This is this is business. Um, but I think the more we can do to provide resources to the equity community to get them up to speed is going to be critical. And we're also uh, working with the San Francisco Chamber to help us create a, a robust program so that folks can learn about things like tax liability, what it, you know, articles of incorporation for for businesses and, yeah. and corporations and on and on. I mean, there's a lot to learn here. It's exciting. It's an outstanding opportunity. But, you know, there are going to be those people that are going to try to take advantage. Sure. And so it comes down to the vetting on your it, end. It, it does. Um, but again, we the Office of Cannabis, we're a regulatory body. Yeah. Um, there's so much that we can do to um, police that. Yeah. But ultimately, I think those individuals will show themselves to the community as well. I mean, I talked to you a little bit about um, my priori priorities in the beginning. And I said, you know, until I have a chance to speak to the industry and speak to the community and speak to the people that the Office of Cannabis impacts, I can't tell you um, in good faith what all of my priorities are. Sure. But I'll tell you that having community input and hearing from them, because this is supposed to be a thriving cannabis community for all of us mm -hmm. in San Francisco, and it needs to be informed by all of us. And the community is going to call out those individuals who are trying to game the system.
I want to also talk about consumption spaces a little bit. There are, um, as far as I understand it, there are retail spaces, cannabis retail spaces where you can consume cannabis on site. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. There are about um, seven legacy businesses. And by legacy, there are medicinal marijuana. Who transitioned to retail. Who have, yeah, recently transitioned, but they were permitted under the old framework. Okay. Um, And I believe six are up and running. Okay. So apart from that, though, and and look, I know a little bit of this is ridiculous because it's San Francisco. And if you walk around, you you know, (laughs) it it doesn't seem like anybody's having any trouble uh, uh, getting and using (laughs) cannabis. Right. Just if you if you have a working nose. But look, I can't smoke. uh, Public service announcement, please access your cannabis from regulated sources. Talking like to the you're, you're allowed. You're you're allowed. I'm talking to the director of cannabis. You're allowed to make any kind of public service announcements you like. But thank you. I mean, I can't smoke in a park. Right. I'm not okay. I'm not supposed to smoke That's in a right. park. I'm not supposed to smoke on a bus. I'm not supposed to smoke in a plane. I'm not supposed to smoke on a train. I'm not supposed to like the lease. The terms of my lease, I'm almost certain, would prevent that. That's correct. And so, you can't smoke on the sidewalk. Okay. So again, again, I know how if you're listening to this and you live and walk around San Francisco, (laughs) I know how this sounds, but that's the reality of it. That's the technical reality of it. It's a legal reality of it. What is, what are your thoughts around trying to open up more consumption spaces? Is that a, is that a particular priority for you in your office? I mean, making that legal does seem like, I mean, I know it's this quasi weird sort of gray area. It's at least that's how it seems to me. But what what are your thoughts around consumption spaces and p- perhaps opening more up or making them more right. flexible? Massage parlors, you know, I don't know, <laughs> coffee shops. I'm these are just my ideas. Okay, this those is, are yeah, your ideas. Just, just, <laughs> the just creepy the, Dom. <laughs> I don't know. It seems nice. No. Right, right. Um, no, you know, to your point. I mean, you make a great point. And you know, is our consumption lounges the priority of the Office of Cannabis staff of five on and on. No, that I wouldn't say that's the priority. But well, fair enough. I think, you know, look, there are differing differing opinions on the issue of consumption spaces, right? We're dealing with to take into consideration health impacts, you know, there is a health impact to secondhand smoke. There right. There'll be people who have a feeling about that. Um there's the need and the challenges that you just described. Absolutely. I mean, there's cannabis is being treated differently than than tobacco smoke, right? Meaning we could walk outside the building right now and take a few steps to the right, to the left, down the street, wherever smoking is prohibited these days. Right. Um, and, and just acceptable um, and light up. Yeah. Right. Um, you can't do that with cannabis. If you if you look at it from the lens of, say, a tourist coming to San Francisco and wanting to engage in, in the offerings that we have, they can purchase. They can't smoke in their hotel room. They can't smoke on the sidewalk. They can't smoke on the street. You, to your point, they can't smoke in their car. They can't smoke on a train, a plane, anywhere. Uh, where do they smoke? Right. So we need to have a conversation and a real one about creating spaces where individuals can consume in a safe space away from everyone else and in a way that does not impact other people. There's um, conversations around making sure that not only you or I or anyone else who doesn't want to be impacted by secondhand smoke um, are protected from it. But there's also the conversation around the staff, retail staff or individuals working in the industry that they be protected too. San Francisco in particular led the way on smoke-free zones, right? So this is a particularly difficult subject, but it is really important because there is this carve out that's unique for cannabis where Mm -hmm. you can't smoke it anywhere. So now there are more robust laws under um, the public health code Right. There's there are more robust laws around how you create a safe, 
clean space to consume consumption lounges, what needs to go mm-hmm. in with respect to ventilation and um, the rules around what I just talked about, keeping keeping people who work in that space safe, right? Um, and not expose people to secondhand smoke who don't want to be. Mind you, there are legacy businesses you will see around town that were formed under the old rules and mm-hmm. they've been you know, grandfathered, so to speak. And you will see kind of that mesh where where people in the space are impacted. But um, we're moving away from that. Yeah. How much business activity um, do you do we have right now in San Francisco around cultivation in particular? I, I'm just thinking about how um, you know, the growing of plants, as it were. I mean, I think a lot of times now that cannabis is legal, our minds sort of drift naturally to to retail, to to places where you can walk in and legally purchase cannabis if you're 21 years of age or older, right? But there's the whole ecosystem of cannabis products. There's people who bake it and people who grow plants, for example. I'm just thinking of the the energy intensive resources that have to go into to cultivating marijuana, right. and, and I'm thinking about how how much resources you'd have to pour into that to do that in San Francisco. I, I'm curious about do we know have a sense of how much cultivation activity happens? So to your question with respect to how many grow operations that we have. We currently have 40 temporarily permitted. We had a an amnesty program before I took over the office that brought in um, sort of pre-existing operators um, from the unregulated market into the regulated market so long as they complied with the new the laws. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we have 40 of those. To your point, uh, San Francisco is a small footprint. Um, it is probably fair to say that there are challenges with cultivation to that magnitude in such a small footprint, right? Sure. And so we're going to be limited in location, in space, in proper places where it can be zoned for that. So that that footprint is even smaller and smaller. But um, yeah, yeah. We, we have a somewhat robust cultivation. 40 is more than I would have thought, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, I guess I'm just thinking about, you know, uh, uh, growers and, again, the energy and money you have to go into that and how expensive it is already to operate a business in San Francisco, let alone one that's that's so regulated. I guess let's zoom out all the way for, for a moment. Okay. This is a product that the state of California says we want to be legal, right? I guess why – and just thinking about – I, I want to go back to something you said actually before about making sure the community is on board. Right. Yes, there are a lot of hoops, but this is meant to show the community that we are going through every – possible step to make sure that these are obviously safe products, right? right? We don't want, you know, harmful chemicals in the products that people are consuming right. related That's to cannabis. I, I understand that. Yeah. But like, what about what, I mean, why, why do we have to make sure like everybody's on, look at the backlash when a, when a, a, a new dispensary opens in the quote unquote wrong neighborhood in a neighborhood where, in a neighborhood where it engenders a lot of resistance. Right. I mean, one thing that you had talked about when you first started, when we first talked was like sort of helping communities tamp down on the stigma of cannabis. Right. How has that been going? What is your plan around that exactly? Because it just seems like, to tie this all, this, you know, rambling question together, (laughs) it just seems like so many of these hoops, again, are meant to show the community to give every assurance that this is a highly regulated uh, uh, business endeavor and that, you know, we're keeping a close eye on this and if it's open, believe us, it's legit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They've done everything that they needed to do. Absolutely. what about the stigma? Why in San Francisco is is it has that persisted exactly? I think um well one to your point, I think the fact that we do have these hoops in place, um, you know, we want the the community to know that we take this seriously and their input's important to us. 
Two, they hired a former prosecutor in this role. And so I, I take this role very seriously. And, and, and I think it it now makes sense. When I was first asked to kind of do this, I laughed saying, wait, are you do you know what I do? Like, right, <laughs> are right. you sure it's me? Um, and it, it now all sort of comes full circle and it makes sense. It's it takes. Getting familiar with what the landscape of today's cannabis market is to feel more comfortable with it. I think um, very few people, even today in San Francisco, have actually stepped inside um, a dispensary. Uh, I think it's important, especially the newest MCDs that we're seeing kind of rolling out now who are now competing with this sort of new market of cannabis and this new opportunity are rolling out some pretty aesthetically pleasing models to the community. And I think people are very surprised when they see it. I mean, you can walk by uh, a cannabis dispensary and think it's a Mac store. Mm -hmm. You can walk by one and think it's Neiman Marcus. It's It's, bougie as hell. It's pretty fancy. And I think people are surprised by that because what was in the past was an environment that was still in the sh- operating in the shadows right. most of it, right? right? I mean, you you had legal access if you had a, a a medical card, right? But there was no talk about how that product got to the shelves, right? There right. was no talk about a lot of the issues around that, you know. And that's an area that I know a lot about in my former career, right? I mean, this was still an issue, so the offering and the outward appearance doesn't didn't look like it does today. And people are becoming more and more educated about um, sort of what benefits, you know, cannabis may or may not have, depending on your your interest. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the Office of Cannabis, of course, being neutral on the subject, but ultimately people are just learning more about this product and why we've moved away from it being illegal in this state and hopefully and ultimately legal in the rest of the country. Right. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different things and, and components um, to to cannabis and to this whole this whole industry that people are learning more and more about. So they're feeling more and more comfortable. But, um, you know, I would I would encourage those who still have questions to explore mm-hmm. and uh, walk in and ask questions. It's open. It's public. And that's the point. Yeah. And uh, see what what's out there. Yeah, I guess just kind of just to start to wrap things up. I mean, I, I, as you were talking about that, I sort of started to realize that, like, look, I mean, when you talk about a product that you're consuming, like like cannabis, whether it's edibles, whether it's the flour, or whether it's a tincture or an oil or whatever, like you're putting that inside your body. Like I want to know when I go to the grocery store that everything's pretty much good to go, that it's right. been verified that I'm not taking my life into my own hands here or my health. You know <laughs> what I mean? Your suave shampoo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Or right. or buy, you know, a can of, of beans. You right. know what I mean? Like you want and, and sort of because look, cannabis used to be fairly easy to get in San Francisco. Yeah, you'd get into some shady situations sometimes, but you sort of accepted that. Now right. the, the, the government is saying, no, we're not going to accept that anymore. We're going to need to have regulations if this is going to be a legal product that's out of the shadow. So I think it's that's actually just kind of a fundamental sea change that, I don't know, may be beneficial to articulate that a little bit. Like this is something we're allowing now and we're going to have rules around how we're going to how, how we're going to allow it. If that makes sense, is it, am I yeah. on the right track with that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Again, zoom absolutely. out all the way with the with yeah, the no, totally. Yeah. I mean, I think that's exactly the point. You know, we let's if we're if we're if we're bringing this into the light and we're exploring it, we we need to 
and we're going to offer it right to your point about the beans and, and, and the other products in your stores. Um, it needs to be safe for public consumption. Right. And so people would argue that, you know, this went from being completely unregulated to one of the most regulated substances in this state. And to that point, we now have, we feel confident um, with all the requirements, the end product is a pretty safe product, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. so that's great. Um, and people are becoming more and more educated about the fact that before we were accessing some pretty unsavory product, yeah. right? Um, yeah. We don't want people to be exposed to pesticides. We don't want people to be exposed to mold and mites and fecal matter for that sure. for that matter, sure. right? So it's really, it's important that people, um, or any chemicals that folks are trying to use to sort of, again, game the system, get, mm. you know, get the, get stuff to, to market that, you know, shouldn't be, right? For sure. So I think it's really important and um, happy to be a part of that process for sure. Well, look, we all would have been really mad at the government if they legalized it and then people went hog wild and then people got sick and died consuming right. like unregulated cannabis products. I mean, I think that's just the reality of it. So let me ask you one last question. It's kind of sure. a two-parter. What are the things that are keeping you up at night about not, about your job in particular around, you know, cannabis in San Francisco, whether that's some kind of, you know, storm clouds from the federal government, whether mm. that's problems in Sacramento and speed bumps. I know we've got Nicole Elliott yeah. now working for Gavin Newsom, former, you know, you're, you're a, a predecessor in the role of director of the Office of Cannabis. Right. Uh, Two-parter though, do you use cannabis ever to help with those things that are keeping you up at night? <laughs> That's funny. I won't comment on that. Fair enough. But I will say, um, gosh, you know, what keeps me up at night is um, Really, community sentiment. I think it's really important to me personally. Um, you know, that was a lot to do with my old role before. That I I want people to feel like they can access our office and get as much information as possible. We are we want to be as transparent as possible about this process. I want folks to understand that we're regulators. We're regulating this, and to your point, we're not making we're not making the the laws. Um, we're executing them, and we're we're doing our best to keep folks safe, right, um, and controlling this process. I, during the time when we were going through sort of the budget cycle, um, I had sleepless nights about the idea that we would lose staff members that the community relies so heavily on. Um, that was tough. And so for me, that was definitely something that I didn't want to see happen. Look, San Francisco has an opportunity now to really be a model. You know, we're not the first to roll this out. There are right. other jurisdictions and they're outstanding. And I absolutely get it that you you take the leap, you're going to see the challenges and, and learn and everyone thereafter gets to kind of learn from your from your mistakes. And so here we are where we're not the first, we're certainly not the last. Um, and so we've had some challenges and we're, we're growing and we're changing and we're refining this process every single day. Um, and we do so so that our our applicants can be compliant with the state. Um, to that point, you know, I, I get it that the process takes a while and I want to see every which way that I can be of service to the applicants to be sure that they can get through the process. But we have a real chance here. Fact is, we're doing this and that's outstanding and it's super positive. We have enough naysayers. So the fact that we're just doing this makes me so happy and I want to keep that uplifted spirit around it. Um, and I want us to be a model. Ultimately, we receive phone calls from all all over the world and, and different jurisdictions about what is San Francisco doing? Why? Because we take risks in San Francisco. That's mm. what we do. And we always try to be on the right side of history. And we are doing that. And I just would hope that ultimately we we do get the resources to this office and to the community that we need to really make 
this dream a reality because the intention is to right the wrongs of the war on drugs. And if we're going to do that properly, we really need to provide the, the, the resources to do that, both to our office as well as to the community we're really trying to serve. So to that end, there's a lot to think about. Um, there are a lot of moving parts. I, there are tons of core functions. We, we could speak again on just the core functions alone um, and really trying to achieve those and be, be present to the community. We make sure that um, we are limiting and preventing youth consumption as much as possible, that we are um, refining this process and these rules to the best of our ability, and that we're available to the best of our ability. So it's exciting time. I'm excited. And I think also part of those sleepless nights are just the fact that I get to do this job. This is this is really cool. So thank you for having me here. Oh, right on. No, thank you so much for being here. Marissa Rodriguez, director yeah. of San Francisco's Office of Cannabis. Thanks so thank much for you. stopping by. Thank you. Take care. Thanks so much to Marissa Rodriguez for coming in. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this show. And thanks to you for listening. I'm Dominic Fercasa for San Francisco City Insider. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief, and Dominic Fercasa is this podcast's producer. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Have questions or tips? Email hnight at sfchronicle.com or find me on Twitter at hnightsf. Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.